Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Sometimes the most interesting travel destinations are really close to home. And this has certainly been the case for Chris Upton, my guest for this week's episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast. If you listen to my conversation with Chris, you will discover what I mean with this. But Chris also has his share of stories about remote locations, not to mention a great deal to tell us when it comes to getting your work recognized and appreciated. So let's listen to my interview with Chris Upton, and please remember to leave us a review on iTunes if you liked it. Hi Chris, how are you doing? I'm fine Hugo, thank you. How are you? I'm great, I'm great. It's, it's great to have you here, so thanks for uh, being with us tonight. Thank you for and inviting me. I know you're busy, so we'll just jump into the, the conversation and I uh, will ask you to, to introduce yourself to our audience. Tell, tell us a bit about Chris Upton, uh, who is Chris as a photographer and how did you get started? Okay, well, um, I'm a photographer from Nottinghamshire in the UK. Um, and I specialize really in travel and landscape photography. And um, although I've recently completed a, a big social documentary project, which we perhaps touch on later, um, my photography started really in my teens when um, I, I used the camera to record lots of trips where I was walking and climbing, um, mainly around the UK, uh, particularly in the Lake District and, and Wales and Scotland. And then over the years, what happened was that the photography got more and more and the walking got less and less. Um, and as we started to travel more, um, then obviously the, the, the cameras then were recording the trips abroad. And we were fortunate over the years to go uh, to quite a few great destinations around the world. Um, albeit, so I guess they were family holidays to start with. Um, and then what's happened over the, over, the, over the following years is that um, those holidays have become more photographic trips, either just purely uh, with my wife or, or on my own or with other photographers. Um, so it's been a variety of things, really starting off as family holidays into bespoke uh, photo trips. So uh, I enjoy travel photography particularly. I guess I started as a landscape photographer, but have morphed more into travel, and that's really what, uh, what I enjoy the most. Um, but of course... Travel photography encompasses many different genres, and it's not an easy medium to, um, to to do well in because you do have to be able to master various different genres. So, you know, one minute you can be doing um, some architecture, come out of a church, and you're faced with a portrait. Um, you might have to do food, landscapes, maybe some sport, all different types of things you have to be able to turn your hand to. And, of course, um, possibly have different gear to cater for those um, different needs as well. So um, it, it, it's really challenging, but I think the big benefit really is, is twofold. One, it's getting the photographs, but two, it's just experiencing different cultures, different people, uh, different places around the world, and, and just, just, just really enjoying that and uh, experiencing it. And I think particularly I mentioned the people there, and, and if you look on my website, you'll see quite a few pictures of people and I think that it's the people that make the countries that, that we visit and the places we go to. And I think uh, what I always try and do is uh, is interact with the people as much as possible. 
you know, the, the British are not great at uh, understanding and, and learning different languages, uh, but we muddle by and it's amazing how far you can get with a few words and what that can open up for you. And certainly, uh, you know, when we, when we perhaps talk about hints and tips later, we can, we can come back to how to get the best out of people pictures. I can definitely relate to what you said about uh, starting off as a family trips. Um, in my case, it was family trips and uh, trips for work. Uh, and then I bring in the camera with you always and then photography taking on more and more of an important role until you start doing trips just for going to some place and photographing some place. I think it's a, something that is common to, to many travel photographers out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, I, I, I think it's important to say that for people that do have families, you, know, you can still get you know, some great pictures. It's just that you've got to put yourself out a little bit more and you've got to maybe just be out there, particularly early in the morning and late in the evening, um, and just grab a few hours for yourself and then leave the rest of the day with the family. Um, and as you progress, you can have, you can have all day to yourself, which is, which is great. Yeah, exactly. So um, I was reading your bio and it says that you are an associate of the Royal Photography, Photographic Society. Uh, you've received awards in national photographic competitions and also been commissioned to photograph in Thailand on behalf of the Tourism Authority of Thailand. So how, how do you break through in, uh, in travel photography? Do you have any suggestion for budding photographers who want to, to break through, to get gay, gain more visibility, more recognition? Yeah, I think, um, one, it's very tough because, uh, as we know, whatever um, genre you're working in nowadays, um, you know, everyone's got a camera and the cameras are really good now. So uh, I think it, it is very tough. There's a lot of competition out there. Um, I think the thing is that you just need to uh, practice really hard. Um, you obviously need to travel. You need to practice. You need to try and do things a little bit differently. So what I always say to people when I give my lectures about travel photography is that you know, go to these places. If it's the first time that you've been to Rome, you're going to want to photograph the Colosseum. To be honest, there are millions of pictures out there of the Colosseum, and probably most of them are taken in, in better conditions that, than you might experience. The fact is that you're going to want to get a picture yourself, and you should do that. So I think for me, when you're in iconic locations, take those pictures. But then when you've got that, then try and get your own slant on it. Try and do something a little bit differently. And it's amazing, actually, if you work hard enough and you persevere long enough then those situations will arise and I, I remember when I went to India a couple of years ago we went to the Taj Mahal and of course you know yes I wanted to get a picture at sunset but on this particular day the, the sunset never materialized it just got hazy it just got duller it was going uh, going a little bit um, just just darker and, and it was we were never going to get a fabulous sunset But across the river, from across the Yamuna River um, in Metabarg, looking across back to the Taj Mahal, um, uh, there was a flock of birds which, which just kept taking off. And I managed to get a different picture, a very different picture. So we've got the, the Taj Mahal in the background with lots of people queuing to, to go in um, and a flock of birds on a slowish shutter speed just taking off. And that, for me, is a good example of just something very different. I'd gone with one idea but actually came back with, with a different picture. Uh, and, and I've reproduced that in black and white, and, and that has been quite successful because, because it's different. 
Um, but you know you have to put yourself in those situations and and I think it's a bit about, about positive mental attitude as well on many occasions because all too often when when we're, we're we're on our travels the situation may not be exactly as we planned we might get somewhere the weather might not be right there might be scaffolding around one of the buildings the weather might not be exactly as we'd anticipated and I think one of the key attributes that you have to have is a positive viewpoint on on that situation. So think about the things that you can take rather than the things that you can't. And equally, if you're out with one camera and one lens, accept that there are going to be limitations to what you can take, um, but um, and, and focus on on what sort of images you can get. So once you've got those pictures, what do you do with them? Well, you enter competitions, and that's one of the first things that I did. And and I won a competition, and that's how I got the uh, the commission to go to Thailand. Having done the first one, they were so pleased with uh, with the work that I'd produced that they asked me to go again. So, it, you know, it is that you've got to put yourself out there. You've got to enter competitions. Um, maybe you put yourself put your your work into stock libraries, um, and you, you know you've just got to be seen. Social media, of course, helps now, and and you know the the, the number of places that you can put your work are ever increasing. Um, so really, it's just a question of of trying to um, get great pictures because without great pictures, you you, you know you're not going to get noticed. So get the great pictures, work hard on those, and then just really work hard. Social media, um, stock libraries, enter competitions, um, just just pester people that you know, and and it's amazing. You will get a break. You will get a break at some stage. Speaking of, <clears throat> sorry. Speaking of iconic shots, I was looking at your uh, your website, your portfolio earlier, and I spotted a photograph uh, taken in Prague, Czech Republic. Yes, which is very iconic. I mean, it's uh, we'll put it maybe in uh, in the blog post, but it's the the view that you get from the the hill overlooking the river with yeah. all the the bridges lined up uh, across the river with the old city on your left. Yes, and. Uh, I got an eerie feeling that I had seen that already because I have a picture that was taken not just exactly in the same spot, which is pretty common. I mean, everybody, you cannot go to Prague and not go to take that photo. No, It was even basically at exactly the same time of day. So, and uh, <laughs> the the light was just the same. Was I mean, it, it I, if you put the two photographs together, I could not tell which is mine and which is yours. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. But this is just to underline the fact that, yeah, uh, there are iconic shots. And uh, uh, I mean, you, you always try to find something original. But uh, I've been to Prague once in my life. I don't know if I will ever go back to Prague. I probably will. It's such a beautiful city, but you never know. And you, when you go there, you do not want to, to take the iconic shot uh, like everybody does. Yeah, of course you do. I mean, that's... And then you try to find something different. But, I mean, why uh, why uh, deprive yourself of the, the pleasure of taking that kind of image? I'm not sure if you agree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that if you haven't been, um, you're going to want to get those pictures. You, if you haven't got that picture of the bridges or the Charles Bridge or whatever it might be in Prague, you, you're going to want to take that picture and you should take the picture. And then, But then just see if there's anything else that you can do. Yep. Then maybe try with a different focal length or, yes. or something yeah. just for a change. Yeah. Yes, it is. So another 
a badge of honor on your bio is being a, a Fujifilm X photographer. Can you tell us a bit about what does that mean and how do you get to be a Fujifilm X photographer? <laughs> yeah, I'm very proud to be um, associated with Fuji. Um, I started using Fuji cameras about two and a half years ago. Um, I have, I've still got um, a Canon DSLR system with L lenses and, and it's a great system. But they're very big and very heavy, uh, and I just want we're looking for something smaller and lighter. And I'd always hankered after a Leica, if I'm honest. Um, and I just fancied the rangefinder-style camera. So when the Fuji X Pro One came out, I looked at that, but I just felt it wasn't quite what I was looking for. It was a little bit big, and I wanted to just something smaller, really, just to supplement my uh, my DSLR kit. So when the XE One came out, um, I saw that. Uh, and and it was it was a it was a super camera and I bought it straight away, bought a couple of lenses with it and started to shoot. And for the first time in many years I shot JPEGs. And as I'm sure many um uh, people know that the, the JPEGs from Fuji are just absolutely stunning. Uh, and uh, there's no no issues with, with tricky light, etc. You can just shoot JPEGs and, and the results are are absolutely fantastic. But I was blown away by the um, just the look and the feel of the camera. And I think it's really important that you have a camera that you want to use, that you enjoy using, and, it, and, and you want to pick it up and use it. And that was certainly the case with, the, with, with my, my first Fuji. And I bought one standard zoom lens, the 18-55, to and I bought a 35 uh, 1.4 fixed focal length lens, prime lens. Um, and that that was that was just stunning as well. It's a long time since I'd had the equivalent of a 50mm um, prime lens, but fantastic for env- environmental portraiture, fantastic for depth of you know, controlling depth of field and getting nice blurred backgrounds, etc. So I started to um, be smitten by by, by the, the Fuji look and feel and the quality of the images was fantastic. And of course, it is an APS-C sensor. Um, the X-Trans sensor is very different to the to the other Bayer sensors out on the marketplace. And and I, I, obviously I, I was wondering, well, what's the quality going to be like? That was going to be my big question because it, it's all right having a system that's small, lightweight, nice and robust, um, solid, but, but not heavy. But if the if the results aren't, aren't very good, then then it's it's not worth it. And the results are fantastic. I mean, I, I print to A2 uh, at home. And I can't tell the difference between my DSLR system and, and the Fuji. It really is uh, it really is stunning. So having had the XE1, um, I then started to use it more and more. And I used the DSLR less and less. And when the XT1 came out, I started, I bought one of those. And gradually since then now, it is my preferred system of choice. And, and, and it's just incredible. The, the lenses... I've got now um, have increased. I've got um, a number of zoom lenses. I think I've got seven lenses in in total. Um, and what I did was, I, as I started using it, I just shared some images with with Fuji. Um, and uh, in the early days, and they came back to me. They posted stuff on on Instagram, and and they were quite uh, quite pleased with the work that I was producing for them. Um, and I also lecture um, a lot to photographic clubs in the UK. Um, I talk about Fuji there. Told them what I was doing, and um, and and they invited me to become a, a Fuji X photographer, which basically means that you don't get paid for it. But um, I enjoy using their equipment. I think others deserve to know more about it. 
Uh, many people are looking for a lightweight option to the big uh, DSLR systems, and it's not for everyone. But um, and, and I'd used other compact system cameras previously. I'd used Panasonic and I'd used Olympus, so I was very well aware of the smaller, more lightweight systems. Uh, but I think the thing that did it for me was the XT1 particularly um, is so intuitive to use and all the key controls you can change on the top plate. You don't have to dive into menus, um, which which certainly can be frustrating. And if you don't use it regularly, you know, you end up thinking, how do I change this? How do I change that? But, you know, the shutter, the drive modes, the exposure modes exposure compensation all easily accessible on fuji so it's so so good to use so i i tell people about it and um as i say fuji were quite happy um to um with, with the results i produced and uh, and asked me to be an ex ex photographer and was proud to um proud to accept their offer i was um i'm, I'm a fuji shooter myself uh, as some people know and uh, i jokingly uh sometimes remark that when I switched from a DSLR to a mirrorless system, which is definitely smaller and lighter, my camera bag that didn't weigh down to decrease the weight too much because I'm just basically packing the same weight and the same volume. I'm just bringing more bodies and more lenses because they, they can fit. I can fit more in a bag with respect to before, but I'm not traveling uh, lighter uh, necessarily uh, did the same uh, happen to you or well yes it, gradually my the number of lenses that i um that, that i've got i think as i said i've got seven now um and, and it is a temptation or i'll just take this one just in case but the good thing with with the compact system cameras is that you have that choice and if it is that you want to go out with, you know, I've also got the 27mm pancake lens. So if I want a very, very portable um, but high-quality camera, I just take the XE1 and the pancake lens and it, it fits in my pocket and away I go. And I couldn't do that with the DSLR. It's just impossible, you know, pick up and I've got the 24-70 to 70 f2.8 lens and that on a, on a body is like a brick compared to um, the Fuji system. So... I think it's nice to have that choice um, and uh, you know I will have sometimes I'll just take a small shoulder bag I use a Billingham Hadley shoulder bag and three zoom lenses and one prime lens um, I have a body the X-T1 normally and um, the X-E1 as a backup and uh, away I go and that 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 really can cater those three prime lens uh, sorry those three zoom lenses give me everything from the equivalent full frame of 15 mil to 300 mil so, you know, really what, what more would I want? And I've got a fast prime as well for, for portraits and for, you know, nighttime shots uh, as well. So it's, it's perfect. Yeah, you just have to resist the temptation to pack everything. I mean, yes, you do. When I, when I pack for a trip sometimes, I'm looking at the lenses on my shelf and say, oh, that old neglected uh, 60 mil uh, 2.4 lens, which I never use, but it's just great for portraits. And it doesn't take up a lot of space and I will just put it in the bag because otherwise it will not get much use and I might as well sell it and so on. I'm affectionate. I have affection towards my lenses. I, <laughs> I don't like leaving them home alone. <laughs> so. But I, I think it depends where you're going. So, you know, a couple of years ago I went off to um, New England in the fall. Now that was a very different sort of trip because I was basically going to be shooting out the car. 
you know, not literally out of the car, but I could, I could, I didn't have to walk miles mm-hmm. um, with 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 the gear, and I got a rucksack, so it was great. You could manage more gear than you would normally take, say, if you were walking around New York. Um, so I think it is very much horses for courses, and certainly on on some trips you might be doing a bit of both. So you might want to actually take everything with you, but then pack a smaller bag, a shoulder bag in in your in your luggage just to use and take out you know the body in two or three lenses. Um, it's nice to have that flexibility. So you you mentioned New England, but speaking mm. of destinations, uh, um, is there any particular destination country? that is close to your heart or that you have recently visited or even that you would love to visit or are planning to visit soon that you can tell us about? Okay. Um, I guess if we, if we look at Europe on the one hand and then uh, further afield um, to start with, so f- for me, long haul would be um, Cuba. I went to Cuba for the first time in March this year. I was absolutely blown away by it. It was, it was a brilliant, brilliant place to go, brilliant country. Um, I think it was, again, I talked earlier on about just experiencing the culture, but just to see see the people there, to see their system, the socialist system that they've had in place, um, the, the people are just so full of life, there's so much, so much vibrant colour there, the, the, it's just in a 50s time warp. Um, of course, there's the cars I expected to be, the American cars, of course I did, but I never realised there'd be as many as there were. And there's just photographs everywhere. I mean, Venice is great. Venice is wonderful because around every corner in Venice, there's a picture. But I think for me, Cuba is 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 just the same, if not better. And as I say, the people, despite the fact that they've gone through some really tough times, um, they are just so welcoming. It's it's unbelievable. And I think the the buildings they've got some fantastic buildings with um, Spanish influences in their architecture, wonderful facades. And then they've got some some crumbling buildings that just look like you know they've been bombed basically, um, but there's wherever you go, the, you know, the beauty is like decaying beauty. Um, and as I say, the, the other buildings are are some of the other buildings there are just just incredible. But it's the people that that make it, and it's the life that the that's run on every street. Really, you walk down the street, you've got the music, the sounds, the sights, the smells. It's just fantastic. And what you try and do is you try and capture that in, in your pictures. Um, and certainly it's easy to capture the colour. And the people were great as well, quite happy to pose. Um, of course, in the tourist hotspots, you get people that, that want to be paid. And clearly there are, there are people there posing to be paid, dressed up or smoking cigars or whatever. But there are lots of other opportunities in the back streets. And I just loved wandering around Havana um, very early in the morning as the sun came up. Um, and I, what I did was I tried to find streets that ran east-west so the sun would come down the street and to get that lovely sun sunlight with long raking shadows and the American old American cars going off early in the morning um, and people starting off their day it, it it was just it was just fantastic and I just loved wandering around so so Havana's great um, we went further afield to Vinales, um, Cienfuegos and, and Trinidad And I think Trinidad was just special. Um, just the colour that there is there is uh, is just amazing. Uh, so I think it, it had a lot of everything. And I, I, what I would urge people to do is, if you can go, go soon. And I think as soon as it opens up much more to the um, to the Americans, I think we'll struggle to get there because uh, there's not the infrastructure in place, there's not the accommodation in place. So um, I, if you're thinking of going, I would urge you to go as soon as possible. 
I think as for Europe, um, then uh, then I think my favourite country is probably Italy, because I think wherever you go in Italy, um, it, there are just just so many things to see: the culture, the heritage, um, history, the architecture, um, just phenomenal. Whether you go on a city break um, or whether you go to regions, um, and this year I've been to Umbria. Um, previously, I've been to Tuscany. And a couple of years ago, I went to Puglia, which um, is in the south of Italy. It's in the heel of Italy. And that was that was an excellent place to go. It's not, for the, for the UK photographers, it's not really that well known. Um, but there's lots of lovely, you've got a lovely contrast of coastal towns like um, Molfetta, Trani, Monopoly. And then you've got the hill towns of Ostuni, uh, Martina Franca, Loco Rotondo. And then there's a wonderful very old town. I think it's the third oldest town in the world called Matera. And that is a special place to go. So wherever you, you know Italy very well, you know it you know that area better than I do. Oh right. <laughs> I haven't been to Puglia in many years. I should definitely go You back. should definitely go because as I say there is there are lots of lots of different places to go. And we, we sort of stayed in, in one place and then just went out during the day um to whether it was the coast or just inland or over to Matera but um uh, it's a special place and I can highly recommend it. You have some great portraits too on your portfolio and Thank you. it's not a, a full uh, a travel reportage if it doesn't include some, some shoots of people because they're they are part of the culture, not just the landscape and the architecture. Did you, did you have any experience? Uh, can you compare maybe some places like Cuba? You said people are very willing to be photographed. And maybe other countries, other cultures where people are not so keen to be portrayed. Yeah, I think um, I think generally speaking, I found that um, um, Thailand, India, um, and and Cuba, the people were more than happy to be photographed. Um, I think in Europe, it's perhaps a little bit little little bit more difficult. Um, it's not as socially acceptable, I think, just to go and snap, you know, take pictures of people as you as as, as you go about your you know your daily work. And I think um, there is there is a little bit of resistance in some European countries, but I think it's a, it's all to do with the way that you approach it. And I guess there are there are two ways. You can either put on a, a long lens and try and snap candid shots, and there are occasions when that works, and there are times when it's the only way to get to get the people pictures. But I try and not do too much of that. And I always try and make contact with people. And certainly when I do my planning to go to a country, I always try and learn a few words, at least that I can say, hello, I'm Chris. I'm a photographer from the UK in, in the local language. And it breaks the ice. And, you know, if you, if you don't get it quite right and you get your pronunciation wrong, what happens? They smile. They laugh and they smile. But you've broken that barrier and you've made that connection with them. And it's amazing then what happens in terms of, of getting much, much better pictures. So I know that for many people, going up to strangers and, and asking if they can take the picture is, is really tough. But what I would urge people to do is, is really give it a go because the pictures you'll get will, will far surpass anything you'll get as a quick grab shot. And the other thing is that once you've got that uh, permission, don't just take one shot and say thank you and walk on. You know They've given you the permission. Um, you can take a few shots. Of course, nowadays with, with digital, you can show them the pictures you've got, and that works especially well with children. Children love it, and then you show them the picture you've got, and they'll play up even more to the camera. 
and that was particularly the case in places like Africa. Um, so what I would say is certainly do that, but before you walk up, just make sure that you're planned and prepared. You've got the right lens on, you've broadly got the right exposure, your compact flash card's not full, your batteries aren't going to go, um, and don't do too much chimping. The last thing you want to be doing is taking someone's picture and then looking at the back of the camera and pulling a face because they're not going to relax too much. Mm. And of course, if you're taking people pictures, um, it's a game where compact system cameras really come into the in, in, into their own because they're not you're not putting a big a big lens in front of someone. It's not intimidating. Um, these people aren't models; they're not used to it, and um, and therefore, if you've got a smaller, more discreet camera, um, it allows people to relax more, and you get better pictures as a result. Speaking of destinations, uh, we mentioned some places that are quite far away, or even maybe not that far away. Italy, from you, it's a short flight, but others like Thailand and India, which are farther away. But you recently did a project which was, I think, basically in your backyard. Yeah. Yes, it was actually. Uh, yes, still in the, in the style of a travel reportage, if you want. But can can you tell us a bit about that project? Yeah, sure. So um, the project was um, a, show, a social documentary project on a colliery, a mine, a coal mine that was closing in uh, in Nottinghamshire. Um, now, obviously, coal has uh, coal mining's gone on in in the UK for for hundreds of years. Uh, it's really important. It, it powered the industrial revolution, but over the last twenty, thirty years, the number of mines um, has dwindled due to um, economic and political factors, and we were left um, earlier this year with two mines, and one of them was in the county where I live, um, and this this mine was due to close in July this year. And I was given the opportunity to lecture, actually. Someone said to me, would I like to go and take take some pictures at, at Thorsby Colliery before it closed? And I, I jumped at the chance, never thinking that it would unfold into the quite big project that it has done. Um, and so from July 2014 until July 2015, I went up to the colliery, which is only about 20, 30 minutes from where I live. And um, and, and I, I photographed, I went about 10 times, um, got a body of work and with that what I've done is I've, I've published a book and all the details of that are on my website and I am having an exhibition which uh, which opens in on January the 9th um, uh, in Mansfield which is not far from where I live um, so it, it's been a wonderful project uh, on a number of levels first of all just the experience of, of witnessing uh, a working coal mine close up Secondly, meeting the people and, and the miners who are a special breed. Um, the, the guys with the salt of the earth, they, 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 were, they were incredible guys, worked really hard in dangerous conditions. And they have this special camaraderie between them and, and what they call the pit banter, the talk between them. And they, and they, and they, they, um, they have a laugh at each other's expense. And, uh, and, and it's just really wonderful to experience that as well. But the most important thing, I think, is just creating a record for posterity. You know, there is now an enduring record. We've got a book. I've got a series of pictures which, um, which will be there. And although there's a, a worth and a value to those at the moment, um, you know, what will that be like in another 10, 20, 30 years' time? And so for me, this is the biggest project that I've ever done. And, and if I'm honest, it's probably outside of personal family pictures – it's probably the most important set of pictures that I've ever taken because the colliery is now closed. Early next year, 
what remains of the corridor will be um, will be uh, you know, taken down, and the whole site will be regenerated. Um, so it'll be gone, gone forever. And so this is like a, a microculture that that is disappearing, or even has already disappeared. And even though for you it's uh, only twenty, thirty minutes away, for us it's uh, it's farther away. So in a way, you are you're bringing us. You're making us travel to, to that location and experiencing the reality of uh, of that place and that situation. So that's uh, that's interesting a lot, even if it's not. We cannot maybe classify it as a typical travel reportage, but still, I mean, uh, it's uh, still great. No, and I think the interesting thing there, the link for me, is the fact that um, my experience as a travel photographer, and as I mentioned at, at the outset about having to be able to cope with different genre of photography, really helped with this because you know I had to take pictures of the wider landscape where where the, where the pit is, the colliery is. Um, I had to do uh, shots, architecture shots of the buildings. I did detail, and of course, I shot people. So all of those things you do day to day um, as a travel photographer. So that really helped me get the best out of this and, and hopefully produce some some really nice images. So it was, as I say, it was really worthwhile um, on a personal level and for the wider for the wider public locally. And I'm really looking forward to over the next few weeks sharing that with the um, with, with 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 people who um, who are interested. So what's next in your agenda? Where is your next trip? Uh, well, my next trip, funnily enough, is to Venice in uh, at the end of January. Um, I've been to Venice a couple of times before, um, but I've never been in the winter, and I just fancied going uh, off-season. Um, I, I guess it'll be um, less busy. The light might be interesting, but I think the thing with Venice is whatever the light, um, you can always get good pictures. So I'm really looking forward to going at a different time. Um, and, um, and and so that, that, that should be great. Uh, outside of that, long haul... Um, I really want to go to Kerala in, in India. Um, so that's something that um, we might try and squeeze that in in, in, in February. Um, and then outside of that, at this stage, I haven't got anything else planned. But um, for sure, we'll probably be doing three or four trips this year. Do you know that um, end of January, beginning of February this year, it's the carnival time in Venice? Yeah, I do. I'm there just before that. Uh, mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, I did, you know, I... It's one of those things that um, yeah, I know all about the carnival. I, and I, you know, I, I think there's, I'm sure you can get some great pictures, but I think it's very busy. Yeah, and I, I wasn't really, it's not the sort of pictures that I'm looking to get this time. So uh, maybe another time, uh, maybe another time. It's a fantastic event to go to, um, a great festival, if you like. Um, and, um, but, but no, um, for me, I'm going there just before the, before the carnival. Okay. Probably a bit cheaper as well, Hugo. It's going to be cheaper and it's going to be much... Well, Venice is never quiet. I mean, there's always lots of tourists, no matter what time of the year you go there, you're bound to find. Especially because there are cruise ships that come there yes. and they offload uh, three, four thousand people at a time. It's just <laughs> like Santorini as well. It That's is, yeah. It's, uh, it's a, <laughs> so it's always very popular and very crowded, but... Uh, Carnival is special in that it's uh, like double the, per the people there. <laughs> yes. And they tend to congregate in some Mark Square where all the people with masks and costumes go. So. Yes. But it's still it's still a great, uh, great place to, to be. Yes. So, uh, yep. Um, just uh, before we say goodbye, I would just like you to, to tell us, to tell our audience where 
can people go to find you online? Okay. So um, you can uh, visit my website, which is chrisuptonphotography.com. Um, and you can get me on Twitter at, at Chris E. Upton. Um, and get me on Facebook as well. And I've just started on uh, on Instagram as well, so you, you you'd find me there. But I think you'll probably post all the links and the details on 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 the site. I definitely will, so people will be able to to follow you on all of, all those channels if they want. And if anyone's got any questions or or anything, um, then just contact me. I'm quite happy to um, share any any thoughts, help helps, in, hints and tips, uh, and experience of places that I've visited. So I would like to thank you for all the insights uh, you shared with us tonight. Uh, it's been really, really interesting. So thanks for coming. It's been my pleasure and too. Thank you. Goodbye and take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.